Eight times removed. What a beautiful bunch of people. Brethren, I don't want to go home. I don't want to go back to the world. How about you? Who wants to go back to the world? No. Not a one. Let's just stay here. Can we, can we stay here? Dale? Can we renew it? Renew the contract right now. Let's, let's go. Another 80 days. Why stop at eight? That'd be fantastic. We don't want to go back to the world, do we? We want to rejoice in the kingdom of God and that taste of the kingdom that we have had here at this Feast of Tabernacles. It's just tremendous, beautiful music, crazy teenagers. You know, you didn't see them. They were dancing at the back, too, <laughs> during a hymn. Just a beautiful time that we can all have together and a taste of that eternal kingdom that God is going to bring to us and to this earth. But maybe, maybe we can do something about this. Maybe, okay, we can't have another eight or 80 days of the feast. But what if we were to, I don't know, get on a conference call with every feast site around the world and we all together at one voice prayed for the real Feast of Tabernacles to come. For Jesus Christ to return, for his feet to stamp on the Mount of Olives and bring that kingdom of God. Do you think, do you think we could hurry up the timeline? Do you think he would hear that? Would he answer our prayer? He might just. And the reason I think that he might just accelerate his schedule is because of several interesting scriptures that I hope we can dig into today and look at. You might think my idea is impractical. God has a plan. He has timing. There's this number of days and this number of weeks and this represents that. He has a plan. Anybody remember Nineveh? Had a plan for Nineveh too, didn't he? And wouldn't you know those people repented? Spoiling God's plan with repentant hearts. How dare they? So we have some example from Scripture where God's plan, you know, we think we understand God's plan. What's the word say? My ways are greater, superior, far higher than your ways. And so perhaps, maybe, we could, through prayer, escalate the plan, prompt God to move forward the time scale. But you know, I'm not talking about setting dates. I'm not talking about uh, giving new schedules to prophecies, because that's certainly been done, isn't it? It's still being done. That, to me, is the wrong focus, the wrong place to put our hopes for the timeline of when Jesus Christ will return. In addition to these wrong practices or misguided practices of trying to set dates and know when Jesus will return, we also have the dichotomy of, well, you know, if you're a young person, I want the kingdom of God to return, but maybe not right now, because I haven't finished school. 
I haven't traveled the world. I haven't started my career. I, I haven't found the one that I will fall in love with and build a family together. I haven't found that one that I can have children with. That's understandable, isn't it? Yeah, we want the kingdom of God to come, but just a little later. And then for those of us that find ourselves pretty comfortable, we have sufficient needs, we have our food, our water, our shelter, and our brethren, and we enjoy life. It's not so bad. God's blessings in this country are phenomenal. So it's easy for us to then say, well, we could wait. God's kingdom doesn't need to come right now until, of course, we come to the feast or we go to Sabbath services and we, we get another taste of that eternal kingdom that we want really in our heart of hearts to be in. So we have these conflicting emotions, con conflicting views and hopes and dreams. Yet in spite of all these factors tugging on us, the key as to when Jesus Christ returns to the earth may well reside in our collective hands. Wow. That was, that's a pretty astonishing statement, isn't it? Well, let's take a look at it. Let's see how I can possibly suggest that we might have a part, and dare I say a responsibility, in when our Savior will return to the earth. Perhaps this notion that we could influence the timing of when our Savior comes to the earth is really only outrageous because somewhere along the way we have forgotten how powerful the prayers of God's people can be and how powerful the Spirit of God is that is residing within each one of us. Before we get into a couple of scriptures, I want to tell you a story. And I apologize to all the folks from Tulsa. They've heard Matt drone on about this story several times. But four years ago this week, this, this day, one of the little boys that you saw up here, Joseph, my son, was very, very ill. He had been born premature, along with his twin brother, Benjamin. Joseph was born at one and a half pounds. And Benjamin was the big one at a whole three pounds. They were born two months early. And they had a lot of complications, specifically Joseph. But he, he overcome. He overcame heart surgery. He overcome just being small and having underdeveloped lungs. But then he contracted a disease called neck, necrotizing enterocolitis. And that is a bacteria that eats away the intestine. You can't live without your intestine. So he was very, very sick. And in fact, four years ago tomorrow, one of our ministers, Barnabas Grayson, came and brought an anointed cloth because he couldn't even touch Joseph. He was so sick. And Rosie, Rosie and her prayer lines and all of our extended family in the kingdom, the, the family of God, 
prayed that we had communications from around the world. And as you can see, Joseph is the noisy one <laughs> at the back. God's blessing through the power of prayer. And we look at those experiences and we look at the power that God's prayers have, and yet we don't apply it to some of the most important, the most important desire of our hearts, that is the coming kingdom of God. Well, there was a woman that Renee and I feel uh, a lot of empathy toward because we were in this same situation that this woman was. We were not able to have children for about 10 years after a long period of trying and then IVF, we were finally blessed and, and <laughs> blessed with some more challenges. But this woman, Hannah, as we read about in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 1, was an incredible woman of faith and of prayer. And I want us to consider her prayer and the effect that her prayer and her faith had on the history of the world. History of the world? Well, we know the story, don't we, of what she prayed for. It says, there was a certain man of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jerome, the son of Elihu. And I'll skip the rest of the names. He had two wives, and the name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Panah. And Panah had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up from, the, from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And also the two sons of Eli, uh, were the, the priests of the Lord were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Panah, his wife, and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, because he loved her. And although the Lord had closed up her womb, and her rival also provoked her severely, making her miserable, because the Lord had closed up her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked. She provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Just awful. I mean, it's bad enough to be a woman and to be barren, but then to have this other woman that has all these kids every year just wound her and attack her. Awful. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. And now Eli, the priest, he was sitting at the seat of the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And we read that, and we think, wow. But do we really take that in, of what this woman was praying? She was so desperate for her son, and yet was willing, in the same breath, to offer him up to God. 
you mothers that look down on your little children up here, are you ready to give them to the Lord and see them one time a year? That was a big sacrifice, but incredible faith and obedience to God. And as it happened, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, but only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought, well, there's another drunk hanging around the tabernacle again. So he said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put away your wine away from you. But Hannah said, answer, answered and said, No, my Lord, I'm a, a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. And so Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And we can read the rest of that story and find out that, of course, God remembered her. That prayer caused the creator of the universe to remember her and to grant her wish. And not just grant her a wish with a male child that we never knew anything about or who never took part in anything notable at all. But God granted a wish that gave birth to Samuel. Samuel, one of the greatest leaders of Israel, the last of that prophetic line of governance of the, of the children of Israel. He would be the one that would anoint the line of David. He would be that one that anointed David's line and eventually would lead, as we know, to our Savior. So no small, no small work was done with the gift, with the promise, and through the prayer of a fantastic, faithful woman. That is remarkable to me. Her faith, her prayer, and her obedience to the deal that she made allowed for God to change, at least in the life of Israel, the world. So that is an example of a powerful prayer that can change the course of history. And you may say, well, if she hadn't have done that, you know, she could have just accepted that she had a barren womb and moved on with her life, probably beat up her co-wife <laughs> once a year. But she could have just accepted that, couldn't she? But she didn't. And yes, God could have called somebody else to be that prophet, to be the one that would anoint David king over Israel. But the point is, none of that did happen because Samuel was born and he was the one that anointed the royal house of our king and savior. So she changed the world. 
through her prayers. Prayers, our prayers, can have far-reaching impacts. And the absence of those prayers, what impact will they have? We have both a responsibility and a blessing to pray. We can pray a small prayer. You know, we can pray small prayers around our immediate needs. And there's nothing wrong with those. We have immediate needs. And sometimes if we're honest, we have immediate wants too, don't we? That kind of creep into our prayer life. God is gracious. He hears those prayers. He grants sometimes the smallest of requests. But we should also keep in mind the ultimate prayer, the prayer that would lead maybe to the escalation of the time scale that God has in store for this earth so that maybe he might just come a little earlier and bless us with his eternal kingdom. So maybe you're not convinced. Well, let's take a look at Daniel, another prophet, another man with tremendous power of prayer. In Daniel chapter 9 and verse 1, it says, In the first year of Darius, the, the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, so he had become the king of the former Babylonian Empire. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And then I set my face toward the Lord God to make my request by prayer and supplications, with fasting, with sackcloth, with ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O oh Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but as shame of face, as this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all Israel, those near and far off in all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. That's a powerful prayer. Why was he praying this prayer? At the start of his prayer here, it said that he understood by the, the writings of Jeremiah, by the prophecies of Jeremiah, what God's plan was, what it was for Jerusalem, what it was going to be according to his will. It was already written in stone. Why the need to pray? Let's see. Go down to verse 13. It says, As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, and yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord. 
our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought, upon, brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. What is the disaster? Have you ever noticed that in this, in this prayer? There's a disaster here that Moses talked about that was written in the law of Moses. And you may not have noticed this before. I hadn't noticed this until I started studying for this message. Verse 13 and 14 talk about a disaster that Moses cautioned against. Well, let's take a look at it. In Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 16, the Lord says to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land. Let me get you some background here. This is right before the children of Israel enter the promised land. This is right before Moses is about to die. This is, this is even before they've crossed the Jordan. It continues. They'll play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land where they go to be among them. And they will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. And then mine anger, my anger will be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them. I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured. And many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Have these evils not come upon us, because our God is not amongst us? So they even recognize why these evils have fallen on them. And I will surely hide my face in that day, says the Lord, because of the evil which they have done in that day, in that they have turned to other gods. Now, therefore, write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. So. How about that for a rallying cry? Hey, we're going to go in the promised land, but you're all going to be corrupt and you're going to get punished. <laughs> well, I feel better, don't you? But this is exactly what happened. God said, you will do this, and I will do that. What's the point? What was the point of that? So he could call it as a witness. This, to me, is very much like the, 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 the condemnation against Nineveh. This is going to happen. I'm going to wipe you out. I'm just letting you know. And what did they do? Well, they changed God's mind, didn't they? But as we know, children of Israel said, oh, okay, well, then we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. <laughs> and they made it happen. But this is what Daniel referred to in, in, in his writing in verses 13 and 14, 14. God told them that this was what was going to happen, and yet they did not listen. But if the people had heeded the prophecy, if they had heeded this warning, we know from Nineveh, they had an, an opportunity to pray 
to pray. And that's what, that's what Daniel says. Our prayer before the Lord, our God, they did not pray. <coughs> that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. They didn't pray this. They didn't say, God, we're falling into this. You told us this would happen. Help us before it's too late. So God remembered the disaster that would come upon them. He remembered it. He kept it in mind. So we have an example from Hannah that having prayed can cause God to remember our prayer and, and grant a blessing and perform a powerful work because of our prayers. And having not prayed, as the example of Israel, can also cause God to remember and bring a judgment and continue on with the plan just as he set it out to be. And that's important for us to remember. With Israel, God remembered the disaster that he was going to bring on them because they did not pray. But Daniel, unlike his forefathers, is a righteous man. He knows the history of Israel. He knows the prophecies of Jeremiah. And unlike his fathers, he does pray a prayer of repentance. And he does change, well, not just change, he establishes through the prophecies that he's given world history. We are still living in the history that God through the prophecies gave Daniel. We're still living in them. We are the fruit in many ways of, that, of those prophecies. He continues in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 15. And now, O Lord, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name, as it is this day, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to, our, to your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. Because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those round about. Verse 19, he says, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake. My God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Do not delay. We already read. Jeremiah said 70 years. This is how, this is the timeline. Where's the delay? Why did Daniel even need to pray that God would follow through on a plan that he already said he was going to do? Why did he have to pray? This prayer is powerful. It is astonishing in its ramifications. And it speaks to the tremendous power of the relationship and of the prayers that Daniel had with God. And in verse 20 it says, And now, while I was speaking, praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, 
whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me at about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out. No big deal. I started praying and commands started going around heaven. Do we realize what happens here? Daniel prays and commandments are given out. You go this. You go there. You do this. Gabriel, you need to go talk to Daniel. Things start to roll. That gives me chills. And what the, the things that began to roll, the plan that began to be delivered. Like I say, we are still living in the world that that shaped. Phenomenal prayers. What would have happened if Daniel had not prayed? Because he, he clearly felt like he needed to pray. That there was a possibility that the plan of God already written down, already prophesied by Jeremiah, could be delayed. It brings a lot of questions to mind, doesn't it? O oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. In verse 22, at the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. How would you like this to happen to you? You know, yeah, you are, you're, you've gone to your bedroom, your quiet place, and you're reading your scriptures, and you're praying, and you're praying maybe for God's kingdom to come. And Gabriel just arrives in your bedroom. Hey, Trevor, heard your prayer, man. I was started doing some things. I'm going to tell you what's going to unfold. Ron, are you ready? You've got to write this down. Because this is how God is going to work in the earth. All because you prayed. Powerful prayers. But what if you didn't pray? Well, Ron and Trevor didn't pray today, so we're just going to, we're going to see what happens tomorrow. Or next year. Or the year after that. If Daniel hadn't prayed, yeah, God could have given this prophecy, these instructions, this insight into how the spiritual world works. He could have given that to, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were around then. Could have picked one of those guys. But he didn't because Daniel felt it was his responsibility to pray. He was moved with love, compassion, just a tremendous hope and a yearning in his heart for Jerusalem and for the kingdom of God as he knew it to be reestablished on this earth. He prayed the prayer and God worked through him. And there's something else that I want all of us to understand and especially our young people. And it's tough. 
when you hear messages like this because we know there's a lot of negativity coming. There's a lot of disaster coming before the beautiful kingdom of God. Daniel lived that disaster. He saw his homeland destroyed. He saw just tremendous sadness and destruction, torn away from his family as a very young man. And yet God blessed him. God lifted him up. God put him at the head of one of the greatest empires in world history. This is the God we serve. And he can fulfill dreams. He can fulfill desires and hopes. He can fill up our hearts in the darkest days and show us a bright future as he did with Daniel. So I've presented two examples of how God's people can, even single individuals, can move the gears, the, the systems in heaven, can move God into action. Can we do the same? Can we move and motivate God into action? Well, let's see what God says about it directly himself. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, we have what we would call the Lord's Prayer. It says, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place that when he ceased, when Jesus ceased praying, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father, who, is, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, we have heard how many messages on the structure and the, the template that is the Lord's Prayer. It is the model prayer. It's core elements. It's principles we should keep in mind as we pray. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. And so there are some really good lessons in examining this prayer again. But I want to focus in on just one part. Jesus tells us when we pray, we should pray, Thy kingdom come. Why? Why? It's already written out. You know, what a... What do we like to say? We read the back of the book and we win. It's already established. This happens followed by this and followed by this. God has a plan. He has a timeline. Why pray? Could it be that we might influence the timeline a little bit? Speed it up a little bit? 
I know this challenges concepts because, hey, we know we've got the interpretation just right. I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but did you make a reservation in Petri? <laughs> or we can ask the Seventh-day Adventists because apparently it should have already happened. We've all been very sure that we know exactly how things will play out. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we should dismiss it. I am saying we should pray, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Was it just poetic imagery that Jesus was giving us? Or did he really mean for us to pray these words? Every time we pray. Remember back in Mark 13 and verse 20. We have an interesting scripture. It says, Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Why did he shorten days for the sake of the elect? Do the elect need to be saved in the flesh? Well, we hope not. We all want the spiritual body, don't we? I mean, don't get me wrong. I am perfectly happy with being changed and not being killed. Or not dying. Poof. That's great. But we have this scripture. That something is changed. It's shortened. It was going to be this long, and now it's this long. And if you look a little further, the elect, it's God's elect. It's the saints. It's not some other selected group for another time. It is the saints of God. So why does that day, that timeline, get shortened a little bit? I don't know if you remember, but at the start of the feast, I read a scripture from Revelation chapter 5, and I want to take us back there again because there is a fascinating insight into how our prayers are used by God in heaven. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6. And it says, And I looked and I beheld in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven heads and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Your prayers? My prayers? The prayers of all the saints throughout history, they are the prayers of the saints. And they are part of this beautiful imagery. Remember that scroll, no one, they searched, they looked, they, they went from one end of heaven to the other. They couldn't find anyone to open that. 
But then there was the lamb, having been slain. He was able to open it. Your prayers are there in that imagery, in that plan of God. My prayers are there. That gives me chills to know that our prayers are part of a plan, of a process. The 24 elders sang a new song in verse 9 saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you are slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. The kingdom of God. Our prayers are right there when this song is sung. And there's another place, just a few chapters down, in Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1, where our prayers are integral to what is happening. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who, who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And then another angel, having a golden censer, came down and stood at the altar. And he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. They're offered. The prayers of all the saints are offered to God. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth and there were noises there were thunderings lightnings and an earthquake so the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound brethren these two key places where the prayers of all the saints are offered up before god these two key places are the key places the stepping stones that bring about what? If you keep reading, they bring about the return of the kingdom of God to this earth, the return of Jesus Christ and the establishment of his kingdom forever. And our prayers are integral to that process, to this imagery. integral, an integral part of bringing the kingdom of God to the earth. So let me ask you a question. What kind of prayers are these? Are they small prayers, albeit needed prayers? What kind of prayers are these? Are they prayers for, Lord, help me through this next week? Lord, help me with this challenge in my job. Help me raise my child. These are good prayers. But are these the kinds of prayers that are presented here? I don't think so. I think the prayers that are presented here is our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
thy kingdom. 